It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. So let me tell you about my crazy Sunday morning. Always a challenge doing live television. I always like to take you behind the scenes, particularly when it's not a routine day and this was anything but. So this was the first Sunday yesterday without Chris Wallace and Brett Baer was the first of the rotating hosts filling in on Fox News Sunday. I had arranged with Brett to uh, be the leadoff guest on Media Buzz. He was going to do it exactly when uh, Fox News Sunday wrapped at 10 Eastern. And then he was going to go fly off somewhere. Uh, but the flight schedule changed. So early in the morning, I got a call saying, no, no, can't do it at the time that we wanted to do it. Uh, we're going to have to do it early in the morning. So I race down to the bureau and I get made up. And meanwhile, you know, Brett has got his own challenges, putting together Fox News Sunday, making a lot of last minute changes, as I would have to do on my program. And the question was, could did we have... Uh, a control room to put this together. It's about 45 minutes before he has to go on the air. And amazingly, with all the balls that he was juggling, he found time to come down the hall into my studio, put on the mic, and we had a conversation. And I happened to think it was a very important conversation because it was about all these media controversies involving uh, January 6th, the texts, the Fox News hosts, and all that. But it also involves something that is really ticked me off since it happened. And that is CNN's Don Lemon. And, you know, I try to be fair to CNN. I try to be fair to Don Lemon. And one of the points I made is, uh, in my opening monologue, three years ago, when Jim Acosta was constantly getting in Donald Trump's face with what I saw as an agenda, uh, ideological questions, debating the president and so forth, uh, I was critical. But then... That incident with the mic where he wouldn't give up the mic and the aide came over and he just kept talking. I mean, it was unbelievably rude. But the White House overreacted. The Trump White House uh, yanked Acosta's credentials, took away his so-called hard pass. And Fox News said it was going to file a friend of the court brief when CNN decided to sue. And I said that as critical as I had been of Acosta's performance, uh, I thought the White House had gone too far, had crossed the line. Uh, that the pass for Jim Acosta, you know, being obnoxious does not mean you suspend the First Amendment. Not a First Amendment question, but you get my point. It shouldn't have happened. And so Fox backed CNN, and CNN eventually won the suit, and Acosta got his pass back. There's a certain tradition that when it comes to backing each other up uh, uh, on matters of principle, such as free access for the press to people in power that even rival, even bitterly rival news networks will back each other up. But Don Lemon the other day said, well, I don't see why Jen Psaki even takes questions from Fox. Fox is not a real news organization. And Fox should be barred from the White House briefing room. And this is so far over the line. It's just, I just say, it's just sad. It was, you know, Don Lemon scoring some cheap points by saying, I don't like Fox, therefore let's boot Fox out. Now, of course, it's not going to happen. But what's the difference between that and a conservative president saying, you know what, I think CNN is a liberal propaganda outfit, and and on that basis, CNN should be barred from the White House. So I just thought it was a low blow. And I got the chance to talk to Brett about that, and also just about doing straight news and how Fox does have a news division um, that is very different from the opinion people. And I said, you know, we got into it. You heard me on the podcast last week about the texts from Laura Ingram and Brian Kilmeade and Sean Hannity, and what they said on the air, and what they said in their tweets, 
and what they said in the text to Meadows, and how it was not quite as black and white or contradictory as Fox's rivals tried to paint it. So I thought it was an important conversation to have, but, you know, with all the moving parts, I was wondering if we actually were going to have it. Then, once uh, we got that interview in the can, then they had to edit it live, which means that, you have, not to bore you all the details, you have two cameras on two different guests and it has to be kind of melded together. When you have a control room, that's done live. When you don't have a control room and it's done as a pre-tape, somebody's got to edit. So everybody just performed tremendously. But then... In the meantime, I had to put together a whole new segment on Omicron, which we'll get to, because uh, one of my guests was ill and couldn't make it. And meanwhile, the Omicron news was getting more and more and more uh, dominant over the weekend. So I added that segment. That means I got to write some questions and write the banners and all that. And then Joe Manchin, unexpected to all of us, makes a whole lot of news with Brett on Fox News Sunday forcing me to scramble there as well. So that's a little bit of a peak of media buzz. Uh, As I often say on Mondays, you can see the the segments, if you happen to miss the show, uh, on our Twitter feed, on a Facebook page, on my personal Twitter and Facebook. And that brings me to story number one. Senator Joe Manchin, and look, I've been saying for weeks and weeks and months that I wasn't sure this Build Back Better thing was ever going to get done. Manchin had already knocked it down from $3.5 trillion, which was a ridiculous overreach, to $1.75 trillion. A whole lot of provisions that Senator Manchin did not like were taken out. And yes, the White House could never seem to get to yes. Well, I still have problems with this, and I still have problems with that, and I don't like the child tax credit, and I don't like the way it's paid for. And look, people were saying, I mean, Bernie Sanders went on CNN and just ripped uh, Manchin and said he doesn't have the guts to stand up to special interests. He's entitled, as a United States senator, to vote his conscience and to represent his constituents. You got to get 50 votes to pass the thing. And what President Biden failed to do was to make the appropriate calculations about what could get past the most conservative Democrats, Manchin and Kirsten Sinema. Anyway, uh, Manchin goes on, on Fox News Sunday. Brett didn't know this was coming. Nobody knew this was coming. The White House barely knew it was coming. And he says... I'm done with this bill. Like, we already knew it wasn't going to pass in Christmas. And the press keeps being so optimistic about this. Well, it's going to pass at Thanksgiving. Well, certainly the Democrats will pass it by Christmas. You know what? Early next year, it's not going to be a problem. When there's a lunar eclipse, the bill will pass. But Manchin didn't even leave the door open. I mean, asked by Brett where he stood on this thing, he said the following. If I can't go home and explain it to the people of West Virginia, I can't vote for it. And I cannot... I cannot vote to continue with this piece of legislation. I just can't. I've tried everything humanly possible. I can't get there. This is a no on this piece of legislation. Brett said, is this a no? Are you a no? He wanted to make sure uh, there was no room for ambiguity. And Manchin said, yes, this is a no. I've tried everything I know how to do. And that, we didn't find out until about three minutes after I was off the air, sparked a pretty rough war of words with the White House, uh, Jen Psaki putting out a long statement, essentially saying this is a breach of trust. Uh, it was pretty blunt. Psaki saying on the president's behalf that what Manchin was saying on Fox News Sunday, everybody was picking it up, I saw it on all the other channels, are at odds with his discussion this week with the president, with White House staff, and with his own public utterances. But actually, 
you know, Manchin has been saying these things all along. He, he's worried about the inflationary impact. He's worried about um, having these programs last for 10 years, that the Democrats are trying to do all the same programs, but just stretching it out for different time frames. And I think, you know, it was good that they kept talking. The Democrats were trying to get this done. But clearly, the White House was blindsided here. It was later reported. Uh, I'll get to that in a second. So, you know... I think what we're going to see now is the press turning on Joe Manchin. Already you see people tweeting, why is one senator who doesn't believe in democracy able to stop this whole thing, a package the American public supports? Well, maybe the question should be asked, why is the president of the United States, who's elected as a seasoned Senate dealmaker, why couldn't he come up with a package that could pass? You know, Manchin is entitled to his vote. The only reason his vote is so crucial is that no Republicans will vote for this thing. And you got to have all 50 Senate Democrats. And remember, this was that they made a deal with the House progressives that uh, they would get their vote. And the problem is they couldn't deliver it on the deal because Biden doesn't have the votes. But this went off like a bombshell because, and look, I'm not saying they can't come back with some other, you know, stripped down version of it. Rather than saying, well, you know, we all tried our best. We're not going to get there by Christmas. We'll try again next year. Manchin said, I can't get there. This is a no. So that, of course, uh, had me scrambling to add that to my program as well. Um, so when you go on here, you know, Manchin obviously decided to do this on Fox News Sunday. And Saki is saying that, look, Manchin brought Biden the outline of a bill similar in size and scope that could lead to a compromise acceptable to all. If his comments on Fox and written statements indicate an end to that effort, says Saki, they represent a sudden and inexplicable reversal in his position and a breach of his commitments to the president and the senator's colleagues in the House and Senate. Just as Senator Manchin reversed his position on Build Back Better this morning, we'll continue to press him, blah, blah, blah. Look at those words. You know, when the White House puts out a statement, the president and his people choose their words very carefully. Saki is saying... Sudden and inexplicable reversal. A breach of his commitment. She's saying they were betrayed. She's saying he wasn't straight. She's practically calling him a liar. He, he left uh, President Biden with the impression that they would do this. Politico has a piece. Fume, one Democrat familiar with the internal conversations. Manchin didn't have the courage to call the White House or Democratic leadership himself instead of time. Wow. So tempers are getting pretty hot here, in part because, you know, Biden's whole domestic agenda depends on this vote. It didn't have to be that way. You know, as I've said many times, Biden could have declared victory after the infrastructure bill. But, you know, he had he bowed to his left because everybody, you know, all the, especially the AOCs of the world, the birdies in the world, they wanted a big climate package. They wanted um, this child tax credit, which by which Manchin continues to have problems with. They wanted pre-kindergarten. They wanted free community college. They wanted to expand Medicare. And the reason you need 50 votes and not 60 with the usual filibuster threat is the Democrats want to use reconciliation, which is a fancy way of saying Democratic votes only. You only can really do that one more time. Um, they've done it once on the original COVID aid bill. They were going to do it again, but you can only do it if you have 50 votes. Now, Politico's playbook has a little TikTok saying that it was about 30 minutes before Manchin made his bombshell announcement on Fox that he decided to give the White House and the Hill leadership a heads up. He's about to go live uh, with Brett Baer. He's, he was uh, out of town with his family. He's going appearing by 
satellite. He's all dressed up for Sunday morning. He probably knows this is going to go viral. At the White House, says Politico, there was panic and disbelief. Manchin sent an aide to tell the President of the United States that he was about to go on Fox News and put a bullet in BBB. He just took it out and shot it. Top white officials scrambled to call the senator and talk him out of what he was about to do. Senior White House official telling Politico, we tried to head him off. He refused to take a call from White House staff. So, you know, sometimes you're interviewing these um, lawmakers. I've had this situation myself. And you're accustomed to hearing the talking points. So he's going through his familiar, this is what I don't like about the bill. And it kind of took Brett maybe a second either to realize the magnitude of what Manchin was saying, or just to make sure he hammered it home for the audience. Brett said, you're done. This is a no. Yes, this is a no on this legislation. And with that, the political landscape completely changed. Now, legislation has a way of rising from the dead on Capitol Hill. Will that be the case here next year? I don't know. I mean, I think their best chance was to pass this by Christmas because you had a firm deadline. Once it gets kicked into next year, and particularly if there's more inflation, particularly if there's more COVID, which we'll get to, uh, then it's in the spring. We're in the middle of the midterms. I think it's, it's harder and harder and harder to pass this bill, harder and harder to harder to change Manchin's mind, and harder for the more moderate Democratic liberals to go back home and say, you know, we didn't deliver. They, you know, have to say, look, we, we all said we were going to do climate change. We said we were going to do Medicare. We said we were going to do child tax credit. Child tax credit alone, which Manson really seems to be opposed to, you know, had this past year a real impact on child poverty. But it expires at the end of this year. So right now, that is it. A couple of news analyses from the paper. Uh, New York Times, President Biden's plan to stuff nearly every long-held Democratic priority into his signature domestic policy bill has buckled under the weight of its ambitions. Its ambitions. It's the president's ambitions. He decided what was in there. You know, what planet did Biden... Remember, he passed $3 trillion between COVID aid and infrastructure. That's half the federal budget. Then he's going to come back for another $3.5 trillion, knocked down to $1.75? I don't know. It just seems like uh, there was some serious miscalculations here. Washington Post also uh, noting that, uh, you know, this is kind of a nail in the coffin for the Biden domestic agenda. Look, if it comes back next year, I, I mean, it seems to me it's pretty obvious what you do. You take what you can get. You're going to mention and say, what pieces of this would you support? Maybe it's half the bill. Maybe it's one major provision. I don't know. And then you take that. And what happens is in order to do that, you got to tick off, you know, the squad and all the progressives who feel like they got rolled here. But... There's no magic wand. You either get 50 votes in the Senate or you don't. And it's only 50 because Vice President Harris would break the tie. Let's move on now to number two. So one of my reasons that I added the Omicron segment is that, you know, it was hard to know earlier in the week really what to say about it because the media have been all over the friggin' map on this. I think I mentioned on the podcast last week, you know, the Atlantic had one piece uh, by a guy in rural Michigan saying, well, we're all treating the pandemic like it's over. And then Generation Z doesn't care. And then over the weekend, America is not ready for Omicron, says the Atlantic. It's going to be worse than anything we've seen. It's kind of feeling like whiplash. You know, the experts can't agree. I was watching uh, Anthony Fauci on CNN. Uh, was asked about this. Uh, he was he actually said, well, he said on ABC that we might have to wear masks on planes forever. I don't think that was a very politic thing to say. You want to give people some hope. Uh, he said on the air that um, 
the vaccines that we have now may have less effectiveness uh, against Omicron. I'll come back to that. Um, And he was asked about testing. Testing has been a disaster. And what I say is, you can't, in the end, really blame President Biden for the fact that 40% of Americans, for whatever combination of reasons, um, has refused to get vaccinated. But the fact now that nearly two years into this pandemic, there's not adequate testing. Uh, I've heard this from other people. I've experienced it myself. Uh, Over the weekend, I tried to get my kid, one of my kids, a test. All of the places are booked. You cannot get an appointment. How about the at-home test? All the pharmacies are sold out. They just don't have enough. They didn't put enough money into it. When Fauci was asked about that, he says, well, you know, we spent billions, but yes, there's a need to do better. It sure is. And why they didn't, I mean, it's such a crucial thing uh, for help in a pandemic, unless you think the pandemic was about to be over, to find out if you have it, if you do have it, maybe you're asymptomatic, maybe you already were vaccinated, do you need to isolate? You can't answer those questions if you can't get tested. In the beginning, it was impossible to get tested. Now, the tests exist, the technology exists, but there aren't enough tests, and there aren't uh, enough tests that are available, and the tests are expensive. But even if they were made free, they should be made free, by the way. We're in a pandemic. It's a national security emergency. Don't go anywhere. More BuzzMeter coming your way in just a moment. Let's deal with this part of it, the sports leagues. The National Football League decided over the weekend because it's had to cancel some games because more players, even those who are vaccinated, are testing positive for COVID, that it's simply going to drop the weekly required COVID-19 tests for players who have already been vaccinated and players who are asymptomatic. They just sent out a memo. Now that, unfortunately could allow the virus to spread through locker rooms, and therefore you could have more infected people. So let's say that you've had the vaccine and you somehow got a breakthrough infection, but you're asymptomatic. If you're not tested, you don't know it. Therefore, you might give it to somebody, coaching staff, whatever, who's not vaccinated, who then could get very sick. I mean, this is why testing is crucial. And I'm sorry, this is a cowardly move by the NFL. It's not that I want them to be the vaccine police, but they had this in place. And the reason they are dropping this, they are moving the goalposts, yes, to use football terminology, is they're trying to salvage the season. It's the final weeks of the season. Then we're heading into the playoffs and the Super Bowl. They don't want the league to blow up. So they're choosing, I think, to put the players in more jeopardy by saying, well, you know, those rules we had, well, we'll just throw them out the window. Forget about that. You don't need to get tested. All right. Let's slide now into number three and some of the information about COVID. And by the way, each new day, and there are reports now that uh, the transmission of Omicron can double every day, uh, is having an effect. New York City seems to be at an all-time high. A whole bunch of Broadway shows are closing down. Saturday Night Live over the weekend making a last-minute decision. There was one report that some of its crew members had tested positive for COVID. Um, to send the studio audience home, to send most of the guests who had been booked home. And to their credit, Tina Fey and Tom Hanks, and I guess Paul Rudd, you know, just kind of did a loose show where it was just them and very, very few uh, crew members. You also have colleges shutting down. Harvard just announced uh, it's going to go to virtual learning in January. I mean, this is so reminiscent of 2020. 
And as I talked about on the air with Mike Emanuel, like, oh, I'm sick of it, you're sick of it, people are sick of the media coverage. And the problem is the media coverage has been all over the map because the experts can't agree. Fauci, I mentioned, says, well, the reduced effectiveness by the vaccines for Omicron. But the New York Times has the following story. And this is number three. A growing body of preliminary research suggests that COVID vaccines used in most of the world offer almost no defense against becoming infected by the highly contagious Omicron variant. All vaccines still seem to provide a significant degree of protection against serious illness from Omicron, which is the most crucial goal. And that's really important. You know, we're no longer facing a situation, if you are vaccinated, where you're going to end up in the hospital and where you could die. That is great. But only the Pfizer and Moderna shots, when reinforced by a booster, says the Times, appear to have some initial success at stopping infections. And these vaccines aren't available in most of the world. Well, you might say to yourself, well, here in America, at least they're available. Maybe more people will get them. But you know from experience going back to the early days in China, if most of the world is unprotected, eventually that's going to be brought here. You can have all the travel vans you want, but eventually somebody's going to give it to somebody who's going to wind up on an airplane, and suddenly there's going to be a handful of cases, and now we're seeing more and more cases of Omicron here in the U.S. and predictions that this may soon replace Delta as the dominant variant and one that seems extraordinarily resistant to these shots. Uh, These other vaccines that are used around the world, uh, from AstraZeneca, J&J, Chinese vaccines, Russian vaccines, do almost nothing to stop the spread of Omicron. I guess this is according to the Times story. Here's a quote. From one of the experts, uh, the sheer scale of infection will overwhelm health systems simply because the denominator will be so potentially big. If you look at, if you have a burst of infection worldwide, a shock, what does the world look like on the other side? Is it the war is over or the war has just entered another phase? So I'm actually most worried about healthcare systems and hospital systems getting just completely and totally overwhelmed because some in some areas of the U.S., It's already starting to happen, and if suddenly the cases are tripling, quadrupling, uh, it's not going to be a pretty situation. Washington Post. The swift arrival of a new coronavirus variant has rekindled economic anxieties in Washington. As lawmakers, business leaders, and others begin to worry about whether there is enough federal aid to shield Americans from another round of financial despair. Again, deja vu. Haven't we just been through this? Congress has already committed, if you go back to the last year of Trump, about $6 trillion toward combating the virus and bringing the economy back, which has been pretty successful doing. Unemployment is low. Stock market has been pretty high. But now there's no federal money left to keep the restaurants open. Uh, The money that went to concert halls, performance spaces, well, that's pretty much wiped out. Um, Federal officials have ended the uh, program that pumped money into small businesses. These were all really, really worthy programs. Federal student loan protections are expiring. Remember, you got a kind of a holiday of having to pay back your student loans because of COVID. Uh, and then I mentioned the tax cuts for children. 35 million families have benefited, 35 million families with kids. So um, at some point, we can't just keep printing the money. We've already spent all this money. If This is if. This is all worst case scenario. But if the economy takes a real hit again, I don't know what, what's going to happen. And are we actually going to face more lockdowns or the restaurant closings and the Broadway shutdowns and CNN announcing over the weekend? It's going back to pretty much what it had in 2020. Everybody go home from the offices, only essential personnel. How much of a distance is that? And a minimal crew from that to television shows no longer being performed in studios. 
but at people's houses. I hope that doesn't happen, but we have seen this movie before. Um, and I just want to sneak this in because it's a fun item. Uh, Philadelphia Inquirer had a piece about the first Tesla baby being born. Uh, this baby uh, was born in Philly while her mother was in a Tesla that was driving itself on the autopilot system. Well, that's got to be something, but I don't know. Like, wouldn't you stop the car? Yiron Sherry was getting her son ready for school at 8.30 when her water broke. She told her husband Keating, take the kid to school, come back to get her. Uh, she said, today's the day. I don't think it's happening anytime soon, except it did happen while she's in the Tesla. I wonder if Elon Musk will use that in ads. All right, let me get to some other important things here. Story number four. Peace and Technology Review says that there is harassment in the metaverse. There's a place called Horizon Worlds. Up to 20 avatars can get together at one time to hang out and explore. But Meta's internal review, Meta, of course, being Facebook, found out that a woman was being harassed. She was, her avatar was being touched in a personal way. And there was no ability for her to uh, call for help. Now, I, you know, I know to some people it sounds kind of silly. Like, what if she wasn't actually being touched? But if you're online, it certainly is online harassment at the very least. Um, the vice president of this group called the groping incident absolutely unfortunate, telling The Verge, there's good feedback for us because I want to make sure that the blocking feature is easy to find. So apparently, you know, you hit a button or something, secret code word, I don't know. And all of the other avatars or virtual reality people have to back off and leave you alone. Be nice if we could do that in real life. So that's going on. And meanwhile, CNBC has a story about Amazon um, and President Xi's speeches. Amazon was putting this out on a Chinese website when Beijing delivered an edict, according to sources. Uh, Amazon was told that uh, it must stop any customer ratings and reviews in China because there was one negative review of Xi's book. Uh, I think the issue was anything under five stars, said one person familiar with the situation. And of course, ratings, reviews are a pretty important part of Amazon's e-commerce. But what happened is Amazon folded. Amazon complied. Jeff Bezos' company said, okay, on our site in China, the book's out there. It has no customer reviews and no ratings. And the comment section is disabled, all to avoid ticking off President Xi, because all, all the totalitarian regime in Beijing has to do is say, nice um, uh, e-commerce site you have here, but it will not be appearing on Chinese websites. And of course, they have enough control over the internet to do that. Don't go anywhere. More BuzzMeter coming your way in just a moment. Story number five, and this is a fascinating one to me. Peggy Noonan in her Wall Street Journal column writes about the remake of West Side Story. And you know, you've undoubtedly heard about this. It's by Steven Spielberg. It has gotten rave reviews. The original uh, West Side Story uh, with I Feel Pretty and A Girl Named Maria and all those great songs, 1961. And it was a pretty good movie. Uh, I didn't particularly see why there needed to be a remake, but apparently Spielberg has done a fabulous job. It's shot beautifully. All the critics just absolutely love it. And then it goes out into theaters and it's a flop at the box office. Uh, the first weekend release yielding a grand total of $10 million. A variety says that's just a dismal result for a movie of its scale and scope, which means uh, the studio that did this put a lot of money into making this Spielberg remake. So Peggy goes on to kind of uh, analyze the reasons. Well, what happened? Well, she said, with new coronavirus variants emerging, maybe people don't feel comfortable in theaters. 
The audience for musicals skews older, which are the people who are most reason to be cautious about COVID-19. It's the casting. No one's ever heard of the stars. Ticket prices are too high. People are out shopping. Who wants to see a remake of a classic? Maybe the audience for movie musicals is simply over. She says, look, there may be something to all of that. But she goes on to say this. One is that some people who would be part of a movie's natural audience might not have gone because they assumed it would be woke. Because most of what comes out of Hollywood is woke. And they experience wokeness, says Peggy, as a form of intellectual and moral harassment. People don't want to see something they love, so compromise, so they stay away. She says, goes on to say, I never thought movie theaters would go out of style, but I see that in the past few months, since New York has loosened up and things are open, I have gone to Broadway and off-Broadway shows five times, and to a movie, not at all, except this week for this column. Like all Americans, I really love movies, but I can watch them at home. The old world of America at the movies, of gathering at the local temple of culture, the multiplex, is over. People won't rush out to see a movie they heard was great, but that's confined to theatrical release. They'll stay home, knowing it will be streaming soon. And it is true, this has affected all of us. If you know, it used to be you had to wait a year or something to see it on TV. You know, if you know that within a relatively short period of time, in the comfort of your own home, you don't have to go out and hire a babysitter and pay for parking and pay for the popcorn, you can sit in your house and you can watch it on Amazon Prime, on Hulu, on Netflix, on HBO Max, you name it. You're already paying for those services and you don't have to leave and you can invite your friends over, right? Now, she says movie theaters won't go completely out of business. They'll survive because people like to go to them to see superhero movies and big, fantastical action films. As for West Side Story, she says it's lovely, it's beautiful, it's tender, the music is even lusher. Um, she loves the, uh, the actresses and actors who play uh, the lead roles. It's not woke. It's wonderful. Since she wrote that column, I've come across the following information. Spider-Man, No One But Home, the latest in the Spidey series, uh, hit the theaters this week. The opening weekend, the third largest box office in the history of movies. Not just since the pandemic. In the history of movies, it's the biggest since the pandemic, grossing $253 million. So that would suggest, although Peggy did make the point about superhero movies, that it's not all these other things about people being afraid of going to the movies or not wanting to go in the movies or waiting for the streaming. It's what movie it is. And people wanted to see Spidey swinging around on his webs. And they just figure, West Side Story, I don't want to see it or I can wait. There it is, a tale of two cultures. Well, I hope you had a great weekend. I started off, of course, talking about mine. Uh, I'm glad to be back. We'll be here most this week. Uh, we'll let you know about the schedule as we head into the holidays. And we'll see you tomorrow with more Buzzbeat. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.